0: Good morning, Redeemer. Good to be with you all. As you know, Pastor Joe is on sabbatical this month, so a handful of us guys will be stepping in, um, in the pulpit to preach God's Word. So we will be in Acts chapter 10, verse 1 to 33. Acts chapter 10, verse 1 to 33. Um, we won't read the whole text up front just because of the length, so I will pray and then we'll go through it verse by verse. Acts chapter 10, verse 1 to 33. Gracious Heavenly Father, we now stand humbly under the instruction of your word. We know that it is alive, never changing, able to instruct us, to teach us, to encourage us, to convict us, to guide us. So I pray that this morning seeds that would be planted would flourish to bear much fruit that as we leave this place, you would protect that seed from anything that trials can do or suffering or struggles. I pray you protect the seed from what Satan would want to do to make us to forget or to become discouraged or to not believe. We know that you are sovereign. We know that it's not up to us. You don't depend on our ability to understand, but your Holy Spirit leads us to understand leads us to learn, to act, and to respond to the teaching of your word. So we're thankful that you do that. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) Acts chapter 3, 1 to 33. I had a thought scratch, that's not true. My wife had a thought. She's always got the better thoughts. Um, This morning I said I had the thought. It wasn't really me. I kind of elaborated on it. Um, But she had a very good thought. Uh, she said, why is it so easy for us to share the gospel with folks that are hundreds and thousands of miles away from us? Now what, am I, what I mean by that is most of us have been part of some sort of trip, I don't know if I, were, I, if I even want to call it a mission trip, where we go out, but before we go out, we train, we study... We spend time reading the booklet, watching the video, on how to best prepare to go out and to share the gospel with people we've never met, probably will never talk to again, places we'll probably never go again, we wouldn't want to go back, but yet it's so difficult to share that same message with folks that are literally minutes away from us. That are next door or are a handshake distance. And we'll go through that this morning and, and learn and see God's sovereign work in the salvation story of one person. We've been in Acts for a few months now, and we are on uh, the tail end of what might be uh, a pretty extensive season of, or just series of ministry, things that Peter has been involved with, healing and preaching, and we find ourselves in Acts chapter 10 in the village of Caesarea. Caesarea, the best way I can put it, is like the Naperville of its time, alright, like everybody goes to Naperville, but nobody really lives in Naperville, you know, so it's it's bustling, it's attractive, it's nice, a lot of things to do, it's thriving, popular place to be, and Herod, to gain favor and brownie points from Caesar, named the town after Caesar, Caesarea, built the monument and and whatnot, and in this town, there was a man by the name of Cornelius. Cornelius was of the Italian cohort. So, verse 1, there was, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Now, what is the Italian cohort and a centurion? Well, think of it this way. It's kind of like a volunteer army. It's about 3,000 or so. And within that army, there are groups of about 100 Guys, soldiers, fighters, whatever you want to call them. And each group of 100 would be led by a centurion. So about 100 people under the command or leadership of Cornelius. And what we also know about Cornelius is he is a devout man who feared God. A man that not only did he fear God, but all of his household did. So he's influential gave alms generously to people, and prayed continually to God. Historical writings would describe Cornelius as a very affluent man. He's got a big house, he's got servants, a lot of influence, and he's the kind of guy that everybody likes. I mean, he is like, and you'll see later, he can put a group together. He is influential, and not only that, he is a devout man that prays continually to God and gives alms to the poor. Many would say, well, sounds like a Christian to me, right? Praise, gives to the poor, but we know that he is not a believer now because in chapter 11, it's written that that's when he and his household and basically the, the front of Gentiles become believers. And so Cornelius is not a believer, but he is a man that is ripe for the gospel. So what I see this is as God sovereignly working in someone's life, molding, shaping, softening their hearts in a way, preparing them in a way that they are ready to hear the gospel and we read on about the ninth hour of the day he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say Cornelius so he is praying an angel comes to him calls out his name and he doesn't react like who was that? who was that? who said my name? guards! It wasn't that response. What is he, how does he respond? How does Cornelius respond? Look with me in verse 4. He stared at him in terror. So a rightful reaction. I would probably be terrorized. You all would probably as well. He says, what is it, Lord? So he knew who was speaking to him. He knew who it was. He was able to identify that the person speaking to him was from the Lord. This was a divine intervention of some sort. And this angel responds and says, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So the key thing here is not what the angel said, but it's what the angel did not say. He didn't say, and you've been forgiven, and you've been this and that, and, and you're God's child now. No, he doesn't, the angel doesn't say that. The angel says, God has heard your prayer. In another way, we can interpret that as God has made record of your prayer. He's heard it. He sees the generosity. He sees giving to the poor. And a lot of people, I think, would jump and say, see... See, God does notice the good things that we do, and that's what kind of spurs him on to save a certain person or whatever. And, but no, because we know the Bible, and we know that salvation is based on grace through faith, not of your own doing, not a, a result of work, so that no one may boast. So that's why we have the whole Bible, because we can take this passage and say, well, I'll bring Ephesians 2 in here, and I'll clearly c- clear this up. I'm going to clear this one up and say, no, he is not a believer yet. He is, God is not um, pinpointing Cornelius because he likes him better than that. God has a plan for Cornelius. Sovereignly, since the beginning of time, he has molded and shaped Cornelius up to this point to approach him and say, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard. God is sovereignly working in the life of Cornelius and he calls out to Peter and says, He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner. I'm sorry, so and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who's called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. So we've determined that he's not a believer. And I kinda liken this to there's um I have a coworker that uh, we kind of exchange war stories, whatever, and wins and losses, whatever. And he said, man, I, I got the deal. Thank God. I'm like, Jacob's a brother. <laughs> like, Joe, man. But then I'm like, wait a second. Um, what do you mean by that? Like, thank God? What do you mean? He, Well, it's just an expression. It's like, yeah, I can, I can see that. And so that really convinced me. I kind of just saw there that almost everyone has in their, in their heart just a, a longing for something higher, something bigger. There is that, that hole in their hearts that needs to be filled by something. They recognize a higher being in some way. And my man Jacob thanked God for a deal. And I, it's not the best illustration, but I, fi- I think that it's a good way to, to describe where Cornelius is at in terms of like he knows of God, he loves God, he prays to God. He's instructed by the angel to go and to look for Simon, who is called Peter. And again, most of us would gloss over that, but this is critical because the angel doesn't say, go find Peter. He says, Simon, who is called Peter. So he starts with his Jewish name to, to kind of to indicate to um, Cornelius that there is something brewing here, because later we'll find out that Cornelius a Gentile has no business with Peter a Jew. Like the two are absolutely forbidden to meet together. To be together. To associate with one another. But God has seen what he's done and he instructs Cornelius to call out and find Peter. He's worked in his life and I kind of I think about my own story, if you will. And there, God, I feel like a lot of times we like to think of the salvation story as, hey, when did you get saved? Like, when was the moment? Like, when did it all click? You know, when did you go from, like, black to white? Like, what, tell me about that. And for me, personally, it was more of a a progression, and many of you kind of have the same experience, where, it was just a, a series of events that God did, a way that he worked. I grew up in a, in a Romanian Baptist church, so I've, I've heard the gospel message countless times and sang in the choirs and the bands and all that, and you've been a part of it. And I prayed and I read, but there was a moment where God did do his saving work in my life, but there was a progression of, of, of events that led to that. And so we kind of track with Cornelius as well that God has prepared him for what is to come. So Luke transitions from that to this, verse 9. We see how God has called Peter to meet with Cornelius. So look at verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they, they would be his host, preparing it, he fell into a trance. Now we'll stop right there. It's safe to assume that Peter is probably on the tail end of a fast. We don't know how long, but if any of you have fasted before or understand what fasting is like, there is that first two or three hours where you just really feel kind of like crummy and your blood sugar goes down, hunger pains, and then you transition into a very keen like you're on the ball, you're sharp, your senses are super sharp and it's safe to say that that's where peter is right now. You still have a little bit of hunger but you're very clear, right? You're very clear. You see things pretty sharp. And he goes to pray and all of a sudden he he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. Now, I'm going to let you just go all out on this one, all right? So he had a trance. It could also be understood as a... as a ecstatic vision. So I'll let you kind of close your eyes and just think of, like, the most crazy out there Disney kind of movie thing where they go into like the the twilight and the stars and the weird stuff kind of start flying around and whatever it's like this is not for kids Um, but you're basically you're imagining imagine Peter in a trance and all of a sudden from the sky Dark sky, I don't know if there was thunder or whatever, but dark sky, a humongous large blanket starts falling from the sky. I don't know how big this sheet was. I'm just going to go off on a limb and say five football fields long. I don't know. And it falls down from the sky slowly. And on this sheet are every imaginable animal. All kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. No fish, but every imaginable animal just laying on this sheet coming down from the sky. And suddenly, Peter hears a voice that says, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter is... He's there. He's all in, okay? He's not like, what in the world? He is sharp. He is ready to go. He's like, alright, no. I will not eat by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Confident. And he even quotes Scripture. Leviticus 11, where we read, just at the beginning here, Where the Lord speaks to Moses and Aaron and basically outlines what is a clean animal, what is unclean, what you should eat, what you should not eat. Speak to the people of Israel saying, these are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. I had to Google a lot of this, I'm sorry. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven footed and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, so on and so forth, the rock badger, on and on and on. So Peter confidently quotes Scripture and says, No, I will not eat anything that is common or unclean. First time that happened. Second time, God says again, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter says, Nope same answer I'm not going to eat I don't eat anything that's common or unclean and God responds by saying well God has made clean Peter do not call common and then one more time to bring it home God says rise Peter kill and eat and Peter again says no I won't eat anything that is common or unclean Technically, the right response, according to Peter, according to what he has learned since he was a child. He has been taught since he was young not to eat anything that is common or unclean. Something like if it's a Gentile butcher, if it's a Gentile bakery, I'm not going in. I'm not eating. It's a bad source. We've been from, instructed from day one not to eat this. So you've got to give Peter credit. He's kind of doing what's expected of him in terms of what he has learned and read and studied all his life. So God says, do not call what God has made clean. Do not call common, which could be also unclean, impure, or defiled. This happened three times, verse 16, this happened three times. And the thing that was taken up at once, to heaven. So it went back up to heaven. And I'm thinking that as we move on the passage, you will see that this moment in Peter's life was incredibly impactful, incredibly intentional by God. He's still struggling with it. We'll see that he just, it little keeps outlining that Peter is perplexed he doesn't understand he has no idea why that happened even when the guys from Caesarea show up to his house he still doesn't know like literally minutes before they show up he still doesn't know why that happened but God and his sovereign plan to bring the gospel to the Gentiles needed for this to happen in Peter's life in a way to prepare him for what's to come and we've, we can say that we've all had moments, and just to go on a little tangent here, when we read and study a narrative story in the Bible, most of the Old Testament, the book of Acts, we don't necessarily, you can, but you don't necessarily say, okay, if Peter did that, I should do that. If Peter didn't do that, I shouldn't do that. We get a behind-the-scenes look of what God is doing. A little bit different than an epistle where there's a lot of teaching, a lot of what Paul has wrote or written. We see here God's behind-the-scenes work in preparing Peter for what is to come. So in our lives, God might bring new relationships or new opportunities, maybe even a new job or something where this is part of a bigger thing that God is doing to further his work. On the more painful side, there might be relationships that are removed from you or a a season of suffering or an unfortunate moment in life where God is using to prepare for something else. For me, as and when I think about it, back back in high school, there was um, a group of, of guys that we were all a part of called the A-Team. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty sad. Like, how insecure and, like, lame is that? Like, we had to give it that name to make sure that it was, like, way up there. We also had a B-Team. We weren't part of that, but there was another... Uh, but it's just really... Very, as, as high school as they can get, you know, boisterous and loud and arrogant, boastful, and we were all just kind of like always... Just, it was just not, not the best environment to be in. But what I realized with this group of guys is that we really enjoyed one another. We really loved each other's presence and we did a lot of things together. There was a moment where all of a sudden it kind of changed. Uh, the guys turned around, turned their backs, not to play the victim card, but it was kind of like, wow, this is probably not for me anymore. And I didn't know why, no idea why, but there were painful occurrences that happened with these guys where God completely removed, and not just them, but he completely removed almost every single, if I want to say, quote unquote, worldly relationship that I I had in my life. And that was basically 98% of all of my relationships. So friendless, I guess you want to say, for a season where God used to save me from my sin but he had to do a pretty deep work in order for that to happen. Like it had to be pretty impactful. It had to be pretty like out there where you still talk about it and you, you, you kind of still feel it. You know, you still feel the disappointment and but God had a different plan and there were other ministry opportunities that came up and, and there you have it but there may be moments in life where, where that's necessary and apparently for Peter this is a big one the vision the ec- ecstatic vision that came down from the sky so as we're continuing on in verse 17 read with me in verse 17 now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. We can even see in verse 19, while Peter was pondering the vision, he's perplexed, he's pondering, he still does not get it, still makes no sense as to why he had the occurrence with the the sheet coming down from heaven. God in his goodness, while he's wrestling and he is just absolutely at a loss, trying to figure it out, In in the background, outside, the men who were sent by Cornelius were approaching Simon the Tanner's house and called out for Peter. And at that moment, God in his goodness does not leave Peter to figure it out. He doesn't leave Peter to, to connect the dots. But he clearly gives Peter the direction to what? There are men outside that I have sent to you Please go down without hesitation. Drop everything and go. So Peter's still pondering. God in his goodness directs Peter to go downstairs and to meet the men that are waiting for him outside. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? Why are you here? Now, we really got to lay... What is happening here? So Peter had the 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 vision maybe starting to click because he is about to welcome into his home or the the tanner's home, his host's home, a group of gentile men. And what do we talk about before? That is a huge no-no. Guys, like this is a huge deal those men should not be in the same proximity with peter for any reason but god has clearly said to meet with them to go downstairs and what did they shake hands i mean what what do they do it, peter's like come in <laughs> come in let's 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 eat let's 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 hang out and I'm sure by then um, Cornelius, the men did, did tell um, Peter why they're there that Cornelius sent them an upright man God fearing man, well spoken enough to the Jewish nation he told us that an angel told him to come here to meet with you to hear what you have to say and I would imagine that Peter was starting to have thoughts and ideas of what is happening right now he's thinking, he's planning was, does this have anything to do with what I saw? I don't know. Nonetheless, he welcomes the men in. And we would, it's safe to assume that they ate together and they talked. And that night, Peter would go to sleep. Anxious, but a good anxious, thinking about what might happen the next day. Who is he about to meet? What is God doing? Because up until now, up until now, everything that Peter has been doing is basically things that he would expect Healings, preaching, persecution. It's stuff that, it's, it's not really out there. But this, for Peter, is, he has no idea. No clue. We know that because he's been pondering, he's asking, he keeps asking, why are you here? Why am I, am I going to meet this guy Cornelius So he is utterly confused as to why, but he is trusting the Lord because God has been clearly directing him to meet with Cornelius. So the next day, they all wake up. So it's the two servants that Cornelius sent. There's a devout soldier. There's Peter. And then a group of about two more guys that join this um, group to walk the ten hours back to Caesarea. I would imagine that they're talking and and catching up and getting to know one another better on the way there, but still in the back of their minds, they are wondering, what is God doing? So verse 23, um, second half, the next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius, our man Cornelius, was expecting them. This guy Cornelius, he is the guy He is the guy that you can never say no to. Like never. It wasn't just Cornelius at his desk waiting for Peter to come. Cornelius did his thing. He called his family over, he said, listen, you're not going to believe this, but I'm just going to tell you anyways. An angel came, said this guy, Peter, should come here because he's got something to say, so you got to come over. All right. Cool. Cornelius, whatever you say we will do, man close friends. Hey, listen, not really sure what's going to happen, but you got to come and meet at my house at this hour, at this day, because this guy Peter's coming. So there's a group of people in the house. No idea why they're there, um, but they're kind of talking, why are you here? Not really sure, but Cornelius said to be here, so that's why we're here. Um, Whatever he says, we do. I mean, he's the man, right? So they're all there, wondering and thinking what might be, what might happen, and Peter, I'm sure, is expecting just a nice face-to-face with Cornelius, kind of like, all right, you had a vision too, I did too, here's what it is, um, why am I here, things like that. So Cornelius and Peter finally meet, and instead of a handshake, or instead of a nod, or a nice to meet you, get this, Cornelius falls to his knees and worships. He falls to his knees and he worships. But Peter lifted him up and saying, Stand up, I too am a man. So two things Cornelius is ready and ripe. He just needs to hear someone preach the gospel because he does not know what to do with himself anymore. This man sent by God, all he can do and think about is to kneel and to worship. He is just ready to hear and to repent of his sin and believe. And Peter, number two, Peter, in a very humble way, lifts him up by his arm and says, stand up I too am a man. We're the same, man. Like we're, we're one in one. Already just applying what God has taught him, that they're all equal in God's eyes, that God has a great plan for the Gentile people. <laughs> Again, so we're moving on. And Peter says, all right, this is the guy I'm supposed to meet. Not really sure what to say. He's a Gentile. What else am I going to tell him? I'm going to share the gospel with him. So, Scripture says that, and they talked. They walked and they talked. So I would imagine Peter's saying, well, listen, Cornelius. Jesus died on the cross, and Old Testament, New Testament, fulfilling the law, this and that. And Correa is not listening, and I was like, yeah, 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 I get it, I get it. But hold on, yep, uh-huh, sure, okay, hold on, yep, sure, hold on. Here, but I got this. He opens the door, and there is his close friends and his family. And, and Peter just stops. And he just looks. Now, when we read his, repl- his, his response we might say, yeah, I probably would not have said that. Basically, verse 28, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit any one of another nation. Would you do that? You know, you're kind of not supposed to be there. And you basically tell the people, yeah, we're not supposed to be here. There isn't like, hi, my name's Peter, just came from Joppa. um, So this is Cornelius, we just met and he, um, no. He says, he clears the air and he says, listen, you all know that this is not, this should not happen. You all know, I know that we should not be here together in the same room we should not even be close to one another but god has shown me that i should not call any person common or unclean the best way i think to just bring some light on this is if we read in ephesians chapter 2 11 to 12 here is here basically this is god's plan for what is about to happen Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 to 22 therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands remember that at, that you were at one time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope without God in the world but now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressing ordinances moving on might reconcile us both to God in one body you are now fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God in whom the home structure being formed together grows into a holy temple in the Lord so on and so forth so Peter is highlighting saying listen we're not supposed to be here but this is going to be good so he clears the air with the folks in the room and not only does he clear them, but he authenticates his visit he follows his remark about them not supposed to be there with so when I was sent I'm sorry if we back up a little bit but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me." So Peter clears the air. Heart rates go down. Everyone's calm. And Peter asks, "Now that that's said, why am I here?" Can someone tell me why I'm here? And Cornelius begins to testify of all that God has done in his life, where he's come from, and why he believes Peter is here. Verse 30, And Cornelius said, Four days ago about this hour I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing And said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Remember, it's not what the angel said, it's what the angel did not say. He didn't say anything about belonging to God or a child of God or salvation. He said, go get Peter. And as Peter is hearing these things, that, that Cornelius prayed and he gave... And it didn't really make sense. So he obeyed God. And he sent his men to Joppa to get Peter. Now Peter is there. And not only is he there with Cornelius, but Cornelius put a whole group together. Peter is is just taking this all in. And he might be thinking, yes, these people are ready to hear the gospel. This is why you brought me here, God. This is why... I am here. Now the vision makes sense. Now the, the curtain with the animals makes sense. It all makes sense now. I am supposed to be here because God has a plan to redeem the Gentile people. He sees God's work in salvation and in, in, in Cornelius' life. It spanned who knows how long. Years, it could be years, and Peter sees that, and they are ready. They are ready to hear the gospel. This is a specific plan that Luke outlines for us, a plan that God has ordained that involves visions and obedience and... If there's anything that I would want for us to gain from this message today, if there's anything that we would, I would hope that we would all understand that would be deeply rooted in our minds and hearts is this. is Since God's plan for salvation is definite, since God's plan for salvation is definite, believers must share the gospel faithfully, alienating no one. Since God's plan for salvation is definite, Believers must share the gospel faithfully, alienating no one. and what I mean by definite, I, I would say that it 's a determined it 's a determined plan of salvation it 's fixed it 's specific there 's no ambiguity we 're fortunate to see it here in detail, the way Luke spells it out, but in his entire plan of salvation it 's specific it 's planned. And we as believers must share the gospel faithfully. I would also say we can share the gospel faithfully because that plan is specific. And when I say faithfully, we can work through it. Well, we can work through the obstacles. We can seek God's help and just do it. And no one is exempt from this message. No one is exempt from this message. We may have preconceived notions about where we think we might flourish or, yeah, I don't really, you know, I can't really reach out to them, but I can reach out to this people group or this race or whatever. And Lord, forgive us if there's any type of alienation based on the color of our skin or anything like that. His plan of salvation is that no one is alienated from it. Since God's plan for salvation is definite, believers must share the gospel faithfully, alienating no one. So, what what are the benefits? Why, why? Like, what are the reasons that we should even adhere to this word? I think, first and foremost, that we need to fully understand that God is behind every heart, every soul that is saved from sin. It is God's sovereign work. Where we plant and we water. You either plant the seed or you've been watering the seed. And it's not an option. We're called to do it to spread the gospel to those far and to those near us. And we can also see from this text that God is behind it and God helps us, that we are not left alone. In this message. We are not left alone to share it with others. That he is behind working in the hearts of the people that hear this message. So what do we do with this message? What do we do knowing that God is sovereign in salvation in the salvation story? He's specific. I thought of this line that if, if we need to figure out what are we filling in these blanks with? I can't share the gospel with blank because blank. I can't share the gospel with blank because this is the reason why. And bring that to the Lord and figure out what is there because everyone has someone in their life right now that desperately needs to hear the gospel message. I like to I like to see it as families reaching families. We have a pretty diverse group of people in our neighborhood. And just to testify that God is doing something there where I see my wife and children actually just bringing kids in the house um, and saying, hey, let's read the Bible together and I don't know where these families will be in five years from now. I pray and hope that um, there will be other folks that will water those seeds. We have um, a babysitter in our community group that is a non-believer that helps us with the kids and she is there hearing um, catechism with the kids and hearing songs and It must sound really wacko to her because (laughs) we have this um, amazing time together and the kids are joyfully singing of the Lord and his goodness. And finally, do not wait for them to come to you. You must go to them. Do not wait for anyone to come to you to hear the gospel. You must go to them. And like I said, it's so much easier for us to prepare for those mission trips to go out thousands of miles away. But the challenges of the folks that are nearest to us, and they desperately need to hear that message. So Cornelius responds and says, "This is why you're here, Peter." And we know, and I know that you have come here to be to tell us what has comm- been commanded by the Lord. Next week, we'll see and hear what it is that. God has commanded Peter to tell the Gentiles. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I pray that we would understand and believe that you do not look over us disgruntled and frustrated when we don't share. What Christ has done in our lives. Help us to believe and understand that every requirement, every mandate and stature and and calling that you have for anyone has been fulfilled perfectly in the life of Jesus and that we can freely extend this good news to others. Without fear of having it down perfectly, without doubt that we may have missed some detail or that we haven't done it enough. What I think we do need, God, is we need a, a reignition of fervency and passion in our hearts to tell others of the saving grace that you have. Help put on our hearts a deep burden to to be at an absolute loss for those that are damned. And give us a fervency and an absolute passion to share this good news with those nearest to us. Trusting that it's you who are working. Trusting that you have been working and you will continue to work in the lives that we touch through you.